I pause when I'm telling my recovery story because I made sure that things were in place so that I would experience the minimum amount of pain. But we also know that Black women aren't believed either because it's believed that we experience less pain than white women. And so therefore, we're not believed when we actually are in pain. So it's not lost on me that when I tell my story that it could be a confirmation to some people that, see, Black women, they are tough. They're tougher and they don't need, you know, and it's like, oh, no, I'm just an individual person. But that doesn't mean that we don't deserve care just as much as anybody else. I'm Luke Story. I'm Christine Loria. I'm Natasha Kingsbury. I'm Angie Check. I am Dr. Aaron Eugene McMorrow. I'm Ben Joseph Stewart. I'm Bliss Young. I am Dr. Jacob Egbert. I'm Kyle Kingsbury. I'm Lily Nichols. I'm Mark Groves. I'm Sarah Gustafson. I'm Jesse Golden. I'm Dr. Stuart Fishbein. I'm Marin Green. I'm Kelly Brogan, MD. Hi, this is Kimberly Ann Johnson. Je m'appelle Rick Safris, et c'est le podcast du Gynecologue Holistique. Hello, I'm Paul Check, and this is the Holistic OBGYN Podcast. Enjoy. My guest today on the Holistic OBGYN Podcast is a woman who, <laughs> this is how weird I am, everybody. I was flipping through Instagram one day in this photo of this strong, shiny, flexible, muscly woman. She was at least nine, maybe eight months pregnant, maybe nine months pregnant. She was doing a split balancing on her sits bones with perfect postural alignment, staring forward and smiling. It was just this like goddess embodied in a single Instagram post. And so I did what everybody would do. Hey, I love your content. Do you want to come on my podcast? And Erica Harper, my guest today, she was like, sure. Erica... (laughs) This was so generous with her time. The title of the episode, by the way, in case you didn't notice, is On Strength, Flexibility, and Badassness in Pregnancy. This woman embodies all of those things. She's a yogi. She's a speaker. She's also a licensed mental health counselor and sex therapist. She helps her clients heal psychologically, emotionally. Some very, very challenging things happen to us whenever we become parents and caregivers of small children. And there are a number of couples out there with or without kids that struggle with challenges in their romantic relationships. She helps with this stuff. She can talk the talk, but in order to walk the walk, you have to dial in your own health. And I really do think that the way that she presents herself on Instagram and social media in general encourages body acceptance. It it encourages radical self-expression and self-love for people of all genders, sexual orientation, race, whatever. Erica is a huge proponent for a woman's right to express her bodily autonomy, especially when she's pregnant. She is very vocal about social issues. We get a little bit into the challenges of being a pregnant black woman in the United States. You know, everybody acts like racism is a thing of the past. Not if you're a black pregnant woman in the United States. You really have to be very thoughtful about how agreeable you are whenever physicians make recommendations and be very vocal when you feel like something's wrong. In her spare time, she's also illustrated and published a children's book called Fearless Gumba and Sweet Pea, Snorty McGee, (laughs) Shades of Black. It's a part of the series. So if you want to check out more of what Erica is doing, go to Harper Erica, H-A-R-P-E-R-E-R-I-K-A-7. EricaHarperYoga.com is her website, and you can purchase Fearless Gumba at Amazon or 
anywhere else. I'm sure she has it on her website as well. In order to make this podcast happen, I have to have a couple sponsors every time. Bioptimizers makes two great sleep products. Bioptimizers makes Magnesium Breakthrough and they have Sleep Breakthrough, both of which can help you with sleep. I'd start with a Magnesium Breakthrough, take two capsules, 30 minutes before bed with a tall glass of water. If you're not getting there with magnesium once a day, try taking it twice a day. You might be deficient, especially if you're pregnant, you might be deficient. You likely are deficient in magnesium. And if you need a little extra help, try the amino acid L-tryptophan rich sleep breakthrough. Start with one scoop in a tall glass of water per night, and then you can increase it all the way up to four scoops. But I found that four scoops made me really drowsy. Everybody's going to be different for this. Bioptimizers make some of the cleanest supplements on the market. So happy to have them on the show. If you want to try out any of their products, I've just mentioned two of about a hundred incredible products they make. Go to bioptimizers.com slash holistic OBGYN, or you can use the code beloved for 10% off your purchase. Next up, Organifi. I talk all about their red, their green juice, their gold latte. Today, I'm going to talk about their glow blend, which I think it used to be a seasonal thing, and now it's like up there for good on their website. Organifi's ingredients are all non-GMO. They're gluten-free. They're USDA organic. They're all glyphosate-free. This company is doing a really great job of giving you the highest quality products, whether you're pregnant or not. And I love this product, Glow, especially for my pregnant and postpartum patients. Now, before I say you should go out and take this, we don't have a lot of data on specific functional foods with regards to their safety in pregnancy. But what I will say is when any nutrient is delivered in a whole food vehicle, the chances of it causing any harm to you and your baby are minimal. It's not 100%, so don't throw caution to the wind, but we give pharmaceuticals, vaccines, and all sorts of things to women who are pregnant. And we say, it's fine, it's healthy, it's okay. We don't have a lot of safety data on those things either, yet doctors are peddling those left and right. So what is this Glow product? Let me tell you, I'm glad you asked. This Glow product is gonna help support natural collagen production and elasticity. You're gonna get five times the moisture of hyaluronic acid. You're gonna experience brighter glowing skin from the inside out. This is gonna be good for your hair, your teeth, your skin those stretch marks. It's also important to consider that you require collagen and elasticity in your joints, especially if you're pregnant, especially as your body gets back to its normal movement patterns after pregnancy. So the way that this product does it is you're going to find raspberries, some salt, some tremella mushroom. Tremella is a special functional mushroom that increases skin elasticity and holds five times the moisture of hyaluronic acid. This is considered the beauty mushroom. And if I recall, tremella actually also tastes good, if I recall. So you might get like a little hint of like a cinnamony kind of flavor here. Acerola cherry, you're going to get amla, bamboo silica, aloe vera, rose hips, pomegranate, baobab fruit. This product is loaded with good stuff. If you want to try this out, go to organifi.com slash beloved, or just use code beloved, and you'll save yourself 20% on your purchase. That's a very generous offer from Drew Canole and his team over there at Organifi. Next, of course, we've got BirthFit. If you haven't checked out BirthFit, I don't know what you're waiting for. This is a community built by women for women. You're going to get pregnancy and postpartum specific exercise and lifestyle programming. The owner of BirthFit is Lindsay Cantu. She is an acupuncturist and a CrossFitter. She's a beautiful person in and out, very educated, very highly knowledgeable, and very humble about her journey to getting here. As a listener of the show, you can join their B community for one month free using code BELOVED. Just go to birthfit.com 
And then last but not least, full well fertility. I can't say enough about how instrumental full well has been in rounding out my own practice. Finally, somebody made a really, really solid prenatal vitamin that I have no qualms about recommending. Full well fertility makes the best prenatal vitamin on the market. If you're preparing to get pregnant, start taking your prenatals now and buy them in bulk so you can save money. For men out there, if you're going to be going into pregnancy, you got to get your lifestyle dialed in, especially if you guys are struggling to conceive. 40 to 50% of the time, it's due to the man. So it's boost your sperm count, boost motility, boost the volume, get your nutrition dialed in, and then add an insurance policy on top of that. Their men's virility vitamin is also stellar. Nourish nerves tonic for your nervous system support, and then fish oil. You've got so much there to help ensure that you and your partner have as little trouble in the pregnancy and childbirth process and that early postpartum recovery process as possible. If you want to take advantage of 10% off, go to fullwellfertility.com and you can use code BELOVED10 and you'll save 10%. All right. I think I've done my due diligence here. If anything in the show strikes a chord for you, good or bad, send me some comments. I love hearing from you. If anything here made you feel good, you're just like, oh, I love this show. Go and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever else. Share these episodes with your friends, guys. I'm so grateful to be able to bring these conversations to you. And without further ado, I think I've talked enough. Let's hear from this incredibly strong, powerful, flexible, vocal advocate for all women from all walks of life, Erica Harper. Erica, welcome to the Holistic OBGYN podcast. I've been waiting for this one. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. You guys, most of you are probably listening, but if you aren't aware, we now have a video version of most of the interviews on my website at Beloved Holistics, and you'll get to see Erica in the flesh. Erica just took off these big, beautiful hoop earrings. She showed up like ready to wow, and we had to take them off because they were making some mic noise. But if you don't know Erica Harper, go to HarperErica7 on Instagram, and you'll get to see who we're talking to. This is a very strong, very accomplished, I don't know, very conscious woman. Like the way you show up in the world, I think is really where the magic is. So without me butchering all of your credentials, tell everybody, what is it that you do? And what is this platform that you've built on social media and whatnot? Well, I am a certified yoga instructor and I am also a licensed mental health counselor, although I'm not currently practicing here in the state of Georgia where I've moved fairly recently. I am doing a lot of postnatal coaching right now. And a lot of my background is in sex therapy and maternal depression, actually. I've done a lot of work with maternal depression as well. So a lot of that informs my work as a coach and as a yogi. Right on. Yeah. And hopefully people have gone to your page, but you know, the first video that came up for me was you and your, I'm presuming your husband, is that right? Doing some- Yes. Acro yeah. yoga, acro yoga, which I was introduced to in, in Los Angeles when we were there. And you are in like full splits. He's holding you up by his feet. Looks like your lumbar spine, sacrum area. He's holding one foot in one hand. And there's a toddler, your two-year-old, I presume, <laughs> crawling on his chest. And you guys are just this like force of nature there, just showing how loud and proud you are as parents. I just think it's so beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. That's one of my favorites too. So It's pinned. It's clearly a favorite. <laughs> <laughs> Another photo that I saw of you on Instagram, which was actually one that I think I shared. And then I was like, I got to reach out to this woman. This is a beautiful photo. You're in full splits on your sits bones and you're like nine months pregnant. Can you talk about that photo? Yeah. So what's so funny about that photo is that that photo has gone around a lot. <laughs> 
However, that photo almost didn't even make it on my page. I didn't like the way how intense my face looked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, you know what? I can soften this a little bit because a lot of times when I'm doing the postures, yeah. you know, it's just my face of concentration, you know, my yeah, concentration yeah. face. Yeah, your game face. Yeah, exactly. My game <laughs> face. And then I couldn't quite get it to look the way that it did, you know, with that picture. And so I just said, you know what? Whatever. It's fine. I'm just going to go ahead and post it. Yeah. And yeah. there you have it. Yeah. So, I mean, but it really was just me doing the stuff that I usually do. You know, it was just me doing that, that particular pose. I've done that hundreds of times. But when you do it with a belly, yeah, it's a little bit of a different perception and something else comes across. So I didn't intend to have a big message behind it, but my intention was just to show people what the possibilities were Absolutely, with the human body and especially with female bodies, you know, so that was the main thing. I think it's so important as an OBGYN, I can't tell you how many times it was modeled for me that, you know, Hey, you're pregnant now. You need to take care of, you need to rest and you can't do these movements. You can't do these rotation. You can't lift weights. You can't run like you're just this delicate flower overnight. And now you can't do anything with your body, but your photos clearly demonstrate a different paradigm. I'm wondering since you started making your message as widely known as possible. I'm sure it's not even something you're hammering on the keys, trying to figure out how to get more followers. People just gravitate towards this because they're desperately seeking permission to move and to enjoy Mm. their bodies in pregnancy. And clearly, I mean, that's at least the takeaway I get from your photos and videos of you doing these movements. So the advice out there is, hey, you're pregnant, you shouldn't exercise. I say baloney, you say baloney. What has been your experience in maybe being confronted by this cultural paradigm of you got to rest and relax in pregnancy versus actually strengthening and getting to know your body better? Yeah, I mean, I'm used to pushing boundaries in general. I've always kind of been that way. And I never believe what the majority of people are saying about any particular thing, especially when it comes to women's bodies. I never quite believe it. (laughs) Me neither. (laughs) And so back when... I've always maintained that I wanted to have autonomy over my body, even back as far as seventh grade, when I was first introduced to track and field. Were you an athlete for most of your life? Yeah, Ah. yeah, yeah. So I started running track in seventh grade all throughout high school, ran track in college, and then continued to still run to this day. The biggest stretch in time where I have not run is during my pregnancies. But up until that, I didn't go more than a few days at a time without running. So I've come to really respect and understand the power of my own body. And my desire has always been to master my own body. And so when it came time for us to conceive, I was hell bent on making sure that I knew everything that I needed to know to make sure that I was doing the right things for my baby, but also for me too. We happened to have our children later in life, so to speak. I was 37 when I got pregnant with my first. And so, of course, you know how Geriatric. society treats. <laughs> yeah, of course. Ger- yeah, you know all the terms. You know, oh, you yeah. look in the system so and you're a geriatric <laughs> patient. But it's like, okay, that's fine. Uh-huh. But it's not fine. But that's a whole other thing we can probably Whatever, we'll leave later. that fire yeah, burning for a little a bit because we got other issues. <laughs> oh, gosh. I have a lot to say about that, too. Oh, yeah. But yeah. again, I just wanted to make sure that I was doing the things that I needed to do 
because up until that time, I'd lived 37 years with just worrying about me Mm. and mastering me. And here I'm introducing this little baby, but it's like, ah, I have so many things that I've done. And I still wanted to maintain that sense of self. Yeah. And I didn't want to lose because oftentimes, you know, as a spectator, because obviously, again, I had my babies later on, I was privileged enough to see other people having their babies earlier and also the issues that maybe they presented from, you know, having babies younger and not having a sense of self beforehand. And so I said, well, it's just easy enough, you know, as long as you're mindful about the possibilities of doing that, and then also have a plan to make sure that you are maintaining your sense of self, but also understand that now you have a different hat, you have a different role. So I'm Erica, I'm Erica first, but I'm also mom. And then I'm also wife, and I'm also all these other things. There's so much truth to that. Yeah, you know, so you don't have to lose one. And it's tough kind of maintain that, but I really early on wanted to make sure that I kept those things in mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As men, we don't really go through the physical experience of change in pregnancy, but you being so in tune with your body, you now go through this tremendous thing. And a lot of women, I think, lament, I'm not going to be able to do the things that I used to be able to do, or I'm not going to have the strength that I used to have or whatever. So they have embodied this new identity. And in some regards, it is going to change. I realize that. So it's not a fair question. But for somebody who's so in tune with their body, did pregnancy and getting to feel this thing growing, your body changing, did that actually help you augment your experience with your body? Or did you hit a wall and you're like, oh my gosh, things are just going to have to be different now. I'm trying to get into your head and your experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was just different. I think that the one thing that I realized early on is that in my research about other people who had become pregnant, what happens with the pregnant body. In doing that, there are things that you're just not going to be able to control. So I knew that to a certain extent, I had to alleviate a little bit of the control that I had wrenched over my body and also just to embrace it. I think the biggest thing is realizing the purpose of you having your baby and what's happening into you is something that's miraculous. I think that people don't realize and don't because it's so common to have a baby, to become pregnant and all of these things. And people just have babies left and right. But there's so many different mechanisms that need to happen in a timely manner, unbeknownst to us, in order for your baby to be born healthy. And so kind of going into it with this sense of almost reverie, you know, where you're saying, I'm worried about this thing that's going to be happening to my body. I'm worried about when really you're doing something and you're creating an entire person. And it's just something that is otherworldly. And I think that the respect for it was enough for me to just, you know, let's just see where this goes. Yeah. You know, as and I felt that my my purpose was to make sure that my body was as healthy as possible so that I can continue doing what I do and my baby can still be as healthy as they need it throughout the entire pregnancy. Yeah. I mean, there's so much wisdom in what you just said, which is that I think a part of what people maybe get wrong, so to speak, I'm using air quotes if you're listening, is that I can control every aspect of this. That's actually one way to maybe get the train off tracks. On the other hand, if you're completely dissociated from the process, 
then you become disconnected from the opportunity presented by pregnancy. And I'm speaking not as a person who's given birth, but from working with so many women who've experienced birth trauma, et cetera. And I know we're going to get into that. But instead of trying to control every aspect, you know, versus completely dissociating, if you could find this middle path, the way of the Tao, so to speak, and you can surrender to it. But in order to surrender and feel comfortable being carried by the waves, you've prepared Mm. your body, your mind, your emotions, even your spiritual connection to something greater than yourself from conception all the way through. It allows you to ride those waves in a really beautiful way. Even as a dad who's not going through the physical process, you have to prepare yourself and then you can surrender and know that you're going to be okay on the other side. I don't know if any of that you wanted to comment on. Yeah, no, that was absolutely beautiful. The whole thing about riding the wave, that's exactly it. And I think that even though you as a father don't necessarily go through what we'd go through physically, but you being there for your wife or your partner or, you know, anybody else, any other fathers out there who are going through it with their partner. Yeah, you most definitely can feel that connection with your partner and what they're going through. And also, of course, with your work, you know, that informs your view on it as well. The beautiful view that you do have on it. Oh, thank you. No, I completely agree. That's definitely it. You just have to just let yourself go and just embrace the journey that it is because it is a journey. You know what's going to happen at the end, but you know, the middle part, you have to stop and enjoy that stuff too. Yeah. It can't just be about, you know, you have to take care of you first, you know? So most definitely. I love that. Yeah. I mean, in all of my conversations, I try to make it clear that this is not just for the woman who's going through this process. You as the man, yes, you're not going through the physical. That means the mental, emotional, and spiritual might even be more of a burden for you unless you dissociate completely. And then you're blindsided when you're a dad. And it's like, let's start working early on as a, you know, I told you before we started recording that I'm doing a lot of coaching for men who are supporting their partners because they've never been given a task that doesn't have an answer. It's holding space for this surrender that your partner is going to be Mm -hmm. going through. And when we can do that as men, for women who've prepared for this process, that's where the natural undisturbed birth, that's how that can take place. But it takes all this preparation up until now when you're sitting there in labor. Like it doesn't start there. It starts way beforehand to prepare yourself on these levels. Real quickly, I wanted to ask about your husband and his role and how he kind of transformed through your births. But you said you didn't do as much running, but you probably did some running in pregnancy. Is that right? Yes, I did early on. Okay. Mm -hmm. So running yoga and you're muscular. Were you doing any strength training or resistance training? Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely lifted. You're breaking all the rules here, Erica. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Let's break more rules together. Yeah, I think I would point people to you and say, Just see, it's fine. You can do it. It's just going to require a little bit of body awareness and whatnot, which of course we can get into. But I think you've already kind of really elaborated on that is you know your body so well and you knew how far to push yourself and maybe you adjust the weight a little bit. Maybe your hips aren't feeling great today, so you modify your movements. And for somebody who's a movement practitioner, a movement worker, that probably comes natural to you. There's a company that sponsors the show called BirthFit, and they do quite a bit of counseling around exercise before, during, and after pregnancy. And I think we need more programs like that. So, of course, after this, we're going to point everybody towards your page, and hopefully they're inspired by some of the movement practices. I do want to ask about your husband. Tell me about his journey. I mean, if you could sum it up for him, since he's not here to speak to it, what was his experience like from what you learned from this person that you love so much going through this transformation? 
Well, Aaron has always wanted to be a father. As far back as he could remember, he'll tell you that himself. So nothing here is anything that I'm volunteering. He loved the idea of being a father. And so he was very excited. We both decided together that, okay, it's time, you know. And so during pregnancy, he took on a role of just being just absolutely supportive. And that's the way his personality is. He's a very accommodating personality. I have a very strong personality. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm very assertive. Sometimes I'm loud. Me and me are the same. My wife and Aaron are the same. (laughs) They could go and have lunch and you and I will go like conquer the world. (laughs) (laughs) And talk for hours. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) But yeah, you know, he's very personable as well. It was beautiful being the partner of someone who was so appreciative of Mm. a pregnant body, you know what I mean? And not just in a way that was in awe, Yeah, you know, so I'm already in awe because look at my belly, you know, every day, (laughs) you're just look to something different. Every day was excitement because it's just like, oh, this weird thing is happening, you know, because I'm not attached to any of the, maybe the aesthetic stuff that would be kind of off-putting to some people. And he was the same way. We both were just kind of looking at this whole process as if, ooh, what's going to happen next? From a very almost anthropological type of <laughs> perspective, you know. A young like, female wow. in her natural yeah. environment is developing exactly. a fetus and she is incubating the fetus. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. It was just something new. And there was the recognition that this is something, an experience that's never going to happen again. Yeah. I'm never going to have a first baby ever yeah. again. And if I have subsequent babies, this is while I was pregnant with my first, if I have subsequent babies, you know, and then that's going to be a brand new experience. I'm always going to be a new mom every day going forward. I'm going to be a new mom and I'm going to be discovering this. These kids have never existed before. You know, we have never existed before with the personal development that we have. So every day is just a days get frustrating. You were asking me about Aaron. (laughs) Well, no, but this is a part of it. I mean, men, (laughs) when we're watching the women in our lives grow a baby, that's your baby. And they're nurturing this baby and their body's changing and it's becoming even curvier. My wife is like a curvy lady. And I can't imagine how many times I said, wow, looking at her like naked, getting dressed. It was like, wow. But it wasn't just that she's beautiful, which she's a drop dead, gorgeous woman. It was, you're growing our baby. You're so beautiful. This is beautiful. That's a part of it. Like what an amazing experience to go through as a man who loves a woman. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) I got so excited. No, no, no. You're exactly right. We're on the same page there. And I think that is, I don't know how old you were when you had your first, but I know that age and maturity for us played a big factor. I think that if we were to have had conceived early on, there's so much stuff going on because in your twenties, you're still trying to figure stuff out. Yeah. Who are you in your twenties? I don't know. You know? And so to a certain degree, I still don't know, you know? And so when you're in your twenties, you don't really have the, I was able to call on so many different tools in order for me to get to the point where I was so appreciative of every moment. Mm. And I know for a fact that I would not have appreciated the moments like that with the personal development that I had in my twenties. So, you know, this is a luxury. Yeah. We were 35 with our first and we just had our second at 36, 37, something like that. So roughly the same age as you guys. Yeah. There's just something about 
to a certain degree, I think that's why certain people with that in economy stuff, I think that that's what a lot of people are doing. They know, okay, I have to find out who I am first. 100%. And then they're before you change and become somebody later. new. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Before I add on this extra hat, who am I here and now, yeah. you know, yeah. and that's big. So Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Yeah, you definitely have things dialed in in a way that I think a lot of women, I don't think that there's a right way to do this. I want everybody to listen. I don't think that Erica has it all figured out. Certainly I don't. But when you know who you are, you know, the experience just unfolds. Whereas if you aren't sure of who you are, the experience happens to you. And I think that there's an important difference there. And I do think that somebody in their 20s could have that experience. But as older people who were definitely like, we knew who we are. We've been together since we were 16, but we took a big, long period of separation when I went to medical school and dated other people. And the universe brought us back together. Having gone through all of those tribulations as a unit, not only made us extremely fertile and intimate, but also ready and understanding which where one another needs a little support in these ways that actually made it a very beautiful process. We had amazing pregnancies and childbirths. So there is something to it for sure. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah, yeah. I've <laughs> told my story before, and I'm very proud of our little journey together, my wife. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're more appreciative of each other Yeah. after, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder Yeah. It's, things like that. Yeah, know? it's like the notebook. That's our story is Nicholas Sparks. Yeah. Well, the last question before we go on a little brief break here, as a self-described yogi, meditation, whether that is sitting in humming om, or it's doing a type of breath work, or it's really just getting into a pose and leaning into it, surrendering to the tension. There's a deep meditative practice that comes with many people's you know, yoga practices. I'm wondering, I probably can guess that you have some sort of relationship with meditation, but how did the awareness of your breath and awareness of being able to observe the observer, so to speak, through meditation, how did that help you through the actual, maybe the pregnancy, but also the birth itself of your kids? So both of my kids were born C-section and that's something that we no can kidding. talk about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And the story behind that, I had a myomectomy. I had fibroids. Oh, removed. gotcha. And so there's a, definitely a story there that I definitely don't mind sharing. So I didn't have a natural birth, but the pregnancy itself of how I used my meditative work was mostly through my yoga and also my desire to keep stress at bay. The one thing that I've learned a lot about and I've been doing a lot of research on is the effects of stress on the body in general, but in particular pregnant bodies and the effects that it has in the onset of disease. And so prior to that, I had been working on making sure that I was able to bring the heart rate down mm. and all of the different Ujjayi breaths and all of that throughout the pregnancy or throughout when I'm on the mat. Can you demonstrate an Ujjayi breath? Because in case people don't know, can you just lead us through one or two of those? Yeah. So imagine that you are fogging up a glass okay. and the sound that you make and where the breath comes from, you're constricting the back of your throat. Okay. And all you have to do is close your mouth. <sighs> so you sound a little bit like Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you sound like that, you're doing it the right way. Got it. Got it. But it's an integral breath to 
most yoga practices. And so it's the breath that you use when you're going through your different movements and you're trying to hold a pose or you're breathing through when they tell you to breathe through a pose, you know, you're going to be using your Ujjayi breath. Mm, Amazing. But, and I hate to keep saying this, but I've kind of always been connected to breath in general, because to run, you have to make sure that you have a breathing pattern. And so it wasn't very much of a departure for me when I found yoga for me to then, okay, you need breath. If you want to balance, if you're stumbling in a pose, if you're struggling to hold a pose, or if you know, you're know you struggling to extend up anything, as long as you are yeah. capable of yeah. doing it, yeah. using your breath to steady yourself, to calm yourself, to bring down your heart rate, to control the wildness almost that's happening within you can be so effective on, you know, again, parasympathetic system, you know, that whole thing and making sure that you are nice and calm. So I just wanted to make sure that during that time that I was stress-free and also that I wasn't doing anything that could bring the onset of certain stress-related issues Mm. with my pregnancy. So there wasn't a day that went by that I did not do yoga because I almost felt that it was prescriptive for me to make sure that, you know, it wasn't anything. It wasn't as if I felt like I had to do it. I really desired that connection with myself and, you know, making sure that you're pointing your mudra at your baby belly as a symbol of honoring the life that you're growing in you as well while you're practicing. So, yeah, I mean, meditative work was, again, integral to everything that I did during my pregnancy. Yeah. When you were giving birth, granted, you know, when we say giving birth, of course, I think people presume that you're pushing a baby out, but you're in some regards, a C-section is even harder because you have a sheet a couple of centimeters from your face you're strapped down still in many hospitals, crucifixion style. Not every hospital may not have been your experience. And then you're anesthetized, which is not the same as analgesia. Anesthetized is you cannot feel your body. It's not blocking the pain signal back. So you have somebody operating. They're talking about their kids' soccer games. You've got a sheet right here. Aaron's sitting to your left. Anesthesiologist is doing all kinds of weird stuff that anesthesiologists know how to do. And thank you for them because they keep you from having pain and even more traumatic experience. But In that environment, did you find yourself getting anxious and were you able to use your breath to calm it down? Is this an application of breath work, do you think? Definitely. Yeah, 100%. I knew from the very beginning that I would be having a C-section and so I was prepared for it. And that's actually one of the reasons that I wanted to maintain my practice, maintain my fitness level. I had my babies at Cleveland Clinic. Oh, wow. Up in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. So from what I hear, other mothers that I know have had really good experiences at Cleveland Clinic as well. But my doctor was very, despite the fact that I was having a C-section, I wasn't going to be able to have my home birth like I always dreamed that I would. But he was very, very open about answering my questions. And one of the things that he told me very early on when I was kind of running down a list of questions that I had for him as far as what I could and could not do. He said that, you know what, it's great that you want to maintain your fitness level to a certain degree as you go along, because it's going to help you in your recovery as well. And we're talking about fitness, not 
being skinny, right. not the right. aesthetic stuff that people think of when somebody says, hey, you should be fit. We're just talking about having a certain degree of cardiovascular health, lifting weights every once in a while. It doesn't have to be huge weights and just keep moving. You can do those things during pregnancy. And the biggest thing that he told me too was that you are able to do whatever you're able to do beforehand, you're able to do after but you just have to be smart, make sure that you're not doing anything to hurt yourself. And so that's it. So if you feel pain, don't do that. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> that's where the body awareness comes in. It could hurt. Yeah. So you're not doing it right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Just, yeah. just don't do it. Stay away from that. And yeah. so I would run and up to a certain point, And then I started getting some, okay, this feels weird. That round so ligament pain, the depth of the baby's head pain. in the pelvis. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And so the only thing that I really could do all the time, no matter what was my yoga practice. Mm. And it didn't have to be all day. You know, I can do a 10 minute session. I can do a 15 minute session. You know, sometimes I can do an, I could do an hour session, but you know, the biggest thing is just being smart and listening to your body. So, and to go back to your question about the C-sections, me going into that, I've never been excited about surgery. As I said, I've kind of been working on making sure that I knew my body as best I could and being as healthy as I possibly could basically yeah. my whole entire life. And so I had already had the myomectomy. I had two myomectomies actually, and which I wasn't happy about, but I had those surgeries. And so the biggest thing was making sure that I knew the ins and out, what was going to happen so that I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Because a lot of times you go into it and you just don't know. You're there, you're anxious because you just don't know what's about to happen. Things are happening to you. No one's telling you what's going on. And I just had a problem with that. And so my doctor, again, was very good about, hey, okay, we're going to take you in. This is what we're going to do. And I had already done the research myself, too, so it wasn't as if it was brand new. But he then ushered me into it and said, hey, this is what we're going to do. Okay, he can sit here and blah, 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 and all this stuff. It was as, I don't want to say, not wholesome is not the word I'm looking for, but it was as good of and as... Inviting, maybe? Like you felt like invited in and we're going to take care of you. Considering. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It was like considering that it was, you know, the bright lights, it wasn't the calming experience that you would think that, you know, that a home birth may have. It was as calm as it could possibly be considering the circumstances. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But you had mentioned the whole thing. Yes. So they had me, you know, with the arms out and everything. And it was just like, okay, I already knew that was going to happen. It's fine. You know, Aaron was able to look over and see both of my babies as they came out and they gave the babies to me, but I was really out of it. (laughs) And that's kind of was a little off-putting. I didn't realize that I was going to be out of it to Mm, that degree, but I understood that that was part of it. Not just sort of like not there, like kind of foggy and unaware of your surroundings. Yeah. I could see my baby. I saw when the baby came, I saw, you know, everything, but you know, you were just so tired. Yeah. 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 And so I just felt myself just nodding, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, and barely making sense. Yeah. And so Aaron's just kind of in my ear. Oh, he's so beautiful. She's so beautiful. You know, and I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but he and this is key to my husband. He took my place in that respect. Mm. So I trusted him 100 percent to be if I was out of it that he would 
take my baby. And from that point on, we were not separated. My babies did not go to the nursery and not saying that anybody who has placed their baby in the nursery, there's anything wrong with that. This is just my story. So I want to make sure sure that's clear. But my personal wishes were my baby remains by me at all times. And if they were not to be by me in my sight, they will be within my husband's. Yeah, with Aaron. Yeah, yeah, they will be with him. So considering the circumstances, I think that my experience was as beautiful as it could have possibly been. Yeah. Erica, thank you for sharing that. That was a birth story, everybody. That's what a birth story sounds like. And every birth story is different. Every birth story is equally important. And even if it wasn't your dream birth, it is your birth. And we're going to get into a little bit of your work as a therapist and a coach for people in the postpartum period. I think that would be a nice time to pause and let this story sit with people. So we'll be right back. When I left hospital-based OBGYN practice several years ago, I had the option to join the midwife community as a home birth attendant, and I was getting all of my ducks in a row, and I was figuring out what it was going to cost, but then I realized, you know, licensure was on the horizon. I'm going to be competing with the Kentucky midwives, and they've worked hard for this. They've been doing great work for years, and I love the traditional midwifery model of care, but I'll never be a midwife. So while I do attend some home births, I also figured out that if I really, really believed in the midwifery model of care, let me do my best to make it possible for midwives to do the thing that midwives do so well, which is providing patient-centered, compassionate prenatal care all the way through the postpartum time period. This realization gave birth to my collaborator program. I invite midwives of all types in any state to check out my website. It's belovedholistics.com slash collaborate. What you'll find there is that I've put together a program whereby you can have me as an MD consultant to bounce anything off of any issues you have with interpreting labs, perhaps some help with clinical decision-making for your patient that just had some wacky urinalysis labs come back. At the gold level, I also will prescribe medications, order imaging, order labs. I am willing to get licensed in your state. And if you're in a state that requires a prescriptive authority or a supervising physician, there's all these different names. I'm also willing to do that at the gold level. So all of the details are available at BelovedHolistics.com. Just click the Midwives tab at the top, and you'll get to see all of the information there. And then when you're ready to enroll, you can just pop over to the website, join it. It's a monthly membership fee. You also get access to all of my summaries of ACOG's practice bulletins and also many of their committee opinions. And at the gold level, there's twice monthly peer review. You're going to have a whole community of midwives, my entire network, in order to help support you, whether you're early in practice or you've been doing this for many years. So go to BelovedHolistics.com slash collaborator, just click the midwives tab in the menu on my website and we can get started working together. All right, let's get back to my conversation now. Erica, I feel like we've known each other for so long. I feel so comfortable and I appreciate you sharing so much. You're obviously a sharer like me, but I'm glad I've been able to pull out little nuggets that I think people are going to be really, I don't know, grateful for somebody like you sharing. I do want to go back to the myomectomies because the next topic I want to consider is the postpartum recovery period and how you've utilized some of these lifestyle modifications to optimize your postpartum recovery. But you didn't just go through two surgeries with C-sections, which are sacred processes in and of themselves because we're combining this interventive surgery with the birth of a baby. 
you also had to recover from two myomectomies. And for those out there who don't know what a myomectomy is, we're talking about uterine fibroids, which are benign tumors that grow sometimes through the entire wall of the uterus. There's the inner lining, the outer lining, and then there's this wall of muscle. Some of these fibroids are so big, they compress on the bladder, they can compress the ureters. You can feel them sometimes in very enlarged uteruses with fibroids. You can feel them through the abdomen itself. And unfortunately, I think that, I can't remember the stats exactly, but black women tend to develop fibroids more than white women. So we have quite a number of black women who are going through these myomectomy surgeries. And for you, it sounds like you had pretty extensive fibroids. They had to go in and pluck them out and they generally will come back. But through the lens of Chinese medicine, these are congealed balls of phlegm, congealed phlegm. It's a gross word, but it's this benign thing. It's not cancer and it can cause all sorts of disruptions in pregnancy. So it's good that you had the surgeries. However, it sounds like, did you have a big incision either up and down or across on your belly when you did it? Or was it laparoscopic? No, very small, actually. I mean, okay. you can actually see the most recent one in a lot of my pictures. I don't try to hide it. It's a bikini line, but uh -huh. it's just a little bit higher than the bikini line. Sort of like this long, something like that? Yeah. 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 So we call that a mini mm -hmm. laparotomy. So you, that's a major surgery, you know, and they went in yeah. and obviously they disrupted the wall of the uterus sufficiently that they said, hey, it's probably not a good idea to try a vaginal birth. And so you had to prepare now for your third surgery in probably a span of a couple years, which was your C-section. And then again, you had another C-section. You've had four major surgeries. You've remained active, obviously, because guys, look at this woman's body on Instagram. She is dialed in. I'm wondering, what was the recovery like from the surgeries and especially after the birth of your baby? When did you get back to moving? How did you incorporate movement back in? How did you get through that? So I had my first surgery to remove fibroids in 2007, well before I was ready to have children. And I was having some issues. My periods were long. It was just like, what's Heavy going bleeding. on? I was anemic. Yeah. And, you know, went in and of course I'm healthy. I live healthy. I eat healthy. What's going on? And so I go in and, and I hear that, okay, you have fibroids and they may continue to grow if you don't, you know, get them removed or, you know, you don't have to get them removed, but they were causing so many issues. Yeah. I was just like, you know what? you know, I don't want them to grow any further. I want to have kids. They say, well, they could grow back. And I say, yeah. I always think I'm exceptional <laughs> when it comes to things. That's how I lead my life. Not to know. me. No way, doc. <laughs> I'm going to get these removed and I'm sure it'll be fine, you know? And what was weird about the whole process of learning about fibroids at that point was that nobody kind of knew where they came from, you know? And it's just like, oh, you don't know why. And I'm like, this is BS. Let Give me something so I can solve this problem. You know, I'm a fixer. And if something's going on in my body, you know, I want to know about it. Yeah, I want to know what yeah. I'm doing, what kind of, again, behavior modifications I can do to prevent this from happening again. But I opted to go ahead and have it laparoscopically done. Uh -huh. And so they went in, made three incisions, one in my navel and two along the sides of my navel. And with the little robotic arm, went in and moved the fibroids piece by piece because they were small enough to do that, but they were very disruptive. Yeah. And so to my life, 
And so the recovery for that was not that bad because of the small incisions there. And so I was back up and running, you know, within the, I think it's like four weeks yeah. or something like that. No, I think it's less time for that type of surgery. Well, Maybe like two or three yeah, weeks. It could be like a couple of weeks and you might be yeah, feeling pretty good again. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. It's been a while, yeah. but yeah, it was a short period of time and I was up and going at that point. And so there's that and very short hospital stay. I think I was there for like a day. Now, fast forward to 2017, the previous year, my husband and I were attempting to become pregnant and it just wasn't happening. And we were like, what the heck is going on? I actually blamed my husband initially. I'm like, you know what? We're always talking about the woman. It's the woman. But maybe Let me see those sperms. Give me those sperms. Let's take a look. (laughs) (laughs) So he's like, you know what? Okay. It could be, I don't know. Nobody knows anything. So he goes in willingly to go and get his sperm analysis. And as it turns out, his sperm are like, you know, he-man sperm. Ready you know, to he go. Like, <laughs> yeah. He's, you know, he's good. So I said, ah, oh. and then right around that same time, I started to get the symptoms again. Oh, Anemia. Yeah. Pain during sex. And the biggest thing was the pain during sex because you I come to find out the fibroid was pressing down into my, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, down into my um, vaginal cavity. Mm-hmm. So with penetration, he was banging against it and it was causing pain. Yeah. 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 That's one of the yeah, few yeah. reasons that fibroids actually cause pain, but it goes overlooked often because we say they don't cause pain. Well, they generally don't, but if they're right there and they're being banged on, yeah, yeah, definitely. Exactly. Very painful. Exactly. And so, you know, when I got the results back of where the fibroids were, how big, my doctor then informed me that the one fibroid that was causing that particular problem was so big that it was actually blocking the entrance to my uterus. Wow. Almost. And he said, you have almost 0% chance of getting pregnant with this big thing in the way. You have to get it removed. And in the years since I'd had my previous fibroid surgery. I'd read lots of things about shrinking fibroids and all of those things, but now we were ready. And we were not only ready, but we had a very narrow window for when we wanted to conceive. So now I have another choice to make. And it's like, oh God, okay. Now what is this fibroid, you know, removal surgery going to entail? Well, we can't do it laparoscopically because it's too big. We have to actually do an abdominal myomectomy. And so I go and, you know, you and I are kindred spirits. I'm sure like somebody tells you something new, you're going to be on the computer. <laughs> like, what is this? Reading all t- different types of scientific journals. What are the statistics? I knew everything there was about that type of surgery. And at the end of the day, I cried about it because I didn't want another surgery. You know, I'd already had another one. And, you know, so, and this one was going to be more extensive. And I just said, you know what? let's just go ahead and do it. My, and my doctor assured me, I trusted enough in him and his skill level that he would be able to remove it. And, you know, I still maintain my fertility. And so I opted for that. So again, it's one of those things where I wasn't really anxious about it because I kind of knew everything about it. I knew what the recovery was going to be. And I also prepared for it. Since I knew I was going into surgery, I do this every time that I have gone into surgery, which those have been the only times I've gone into surgery. Every single time I go on a workout regimen beforehand and not necessarily because, 
oh shoot, I want to make sure my fitness level. Yeah. I understand how fitness can affect recovery. And so my idea is, you know, I want to do what I need to in order to be able to heal properly. So that's what I did. You know, I just kind of meditated on it and I just went ahead with it. As far as the recovery goes from the second one, it was a little longer, you know, because you do have the full, the incision there. But, you know, it pretty much like they said, I was up and going within six weeks. I was out running again, but of course, making sure that, okay, I would feel pulling, I'm stopping. It's really just understanding your body. Your body's telling you, no, sit your behind down. (laughs) Do what your body's telling you to do is entrust your intuition and don't push beyond your limits. Be smart about it. And so that's what I did. I just kind of focused on that. Okay. I'm ready. Uh, Nope. Today, not so much. And you just kind of have to go from there. You kind of have to take the good with the bad. Why I did not like being down. I don't like being in disconnection at any given point with my body. And the thing that was the most off-putting about the entire thing was the fact that I lost, and I've since gotten it back, but I've lost the sensation mm. around the area where I had my incision. I didn't like that at all. Oh, really? So <laughs> you did I, get some back, but it went totally numb for years. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it just represented, actually, it's all back. Really? For the most part, it's back. But for a couple of years there, it wasn't. And of course, I kind of view that as a part of me that was kind of lost to, you know, the surgery. And I'm like, okay, I got to, hopefully it comes back. And then you just kind of forget about it. And one day you're like, oh yeah, you know, I can kind of feel around it. But other than that, everything else I was prepared for. And, you know, of course I'm disappointed that I had to do it in that way. But Mm -hmm. what about your... Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. No, no, that was it. I was wrapping it up. I was going to ask you, you know, after you've gone through childbirth and you've had the C-sections, was the recovery from okay. that different from your recovery from your surgeries? Yes. C-sections were easier. <laughs> no <laughs> kidding. My myomectomy. Yeah. Okay. So I just have this funny story and I don't know if I want to tell it here. Whatever. I'm going to tell it. <laughs> I knew you would. (laughs) Yeah, you know. But yeah, so I had my myomectomy. And as you know, anytime that you make an incision in your abdomen, you're disrupting the entire system down there. Yeah. You know, everything kind of seizes up in your intestines. And so it was just the pain from gas and everything down there. And it was just painful. And I wasn't expecting that type of pain. And it was to the point where like my husband had to give me a suppository and I'm just like, you know what, we are in it for life. So the constipation thing was the biggest issue for you. Yeah. yeah. You know, it took a minute for everything to get back. Yeah, of course. You know, functioning the way it needed to. And it was an event (laughs) when, you know, I was finally able to go. But I didn't have that level of pain in my recovery, surprisingly, from my cesarean section. Interesting. It's a very strange thing. You know, you probably could shed light on that a little bit, why that was the case. Well, there are a variety of techniques that can be used in C-section that actually minimize the pain dramatically. Now, the way Mm. I was trained to do it, most surgeons take the uterus out of the incision site, and it helps you repair the opening of the uterus. And 
that's all good and fine. Then you put the uterus back in and all of the tension that was put on all that connective tissue actually leads to quite a bit of post-op pain. In addition, putting rough lap sponges into the abdomen to clear out blood and whatnot, it abrades the peritoneal cavity. So there's a variety of techniques that actually are leading to worse pain after C-section. On the other hand, the extent of your myomectomy surgery was probably pretty extensive. I mean, if they were plucking out you know, fibroids left and right, they had multiple incisions to close up. So you had a whole bunch of inflammatory yeah. sutures and all this inflammation in the uterus itself, which is already sensitive to pain. So I'm curious, when you had a C-section, did you take any opioids or anything afterwards, like pain medicine? Yeah, I did. So I took them as, I, I didn't take a whole lot. So you know how they have you take medication, you know, or you're able to take medication. Yeah, they every bring it in four to six hours, hours yeah. mm-hmm. And I did that the first day, but the second day, because I was in the hospital for about three days, I think, three days for both of my pregnancies. Yeah. And so the first couple days I did take the medication, but then I found that I didn't have to as much. And I was actually very happy to not yeah, do that. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of lose your sense of, okay, hey, this pain is telling me something. Yes. You know, of course, I don't want to be in debilitating pain, of course, but I didn't want to be drugged to the fact, you know, and I didn't find it necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. How long after did you get back to your yoga, your weight training, your running after your C section? Let's go to your most recent, because that was only three years ago, you said, right? Or two years ago? Mm-hmm. Yeah, two years ago, two and a half. Yeah. How long after were you able to get back to your sort of high intensity, maybe not high intensity, but were you able to start getting back into your exercise practices? Six weeks. Oh, dang. So you went right back to it. Good for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, I didn't just go full force either. You yeah. know, I didn't go out to the track and start sprinting, or, <laughs> you know, put 135 pounds on my back. But, you know, I did light yoga. I didn't do a lot of movements where I twisted my abdomen. You know, I stayed away from doing things like planks, Mm -hmm. you know, and to a certain degree, I still kind of do. I'm still a little squeamish about planks because, you know, my diastasis recti is finally getting uh, healed as it needs to be. Sure, yeah. But yeah, but six weeks I was back at it just doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And I would say that probably, I don't know, maybe like three or four weeks after that, I was back to kind of doing the normal things. So right yeah, on. that's my healing You're journey clearly there. doing it now too. So you're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Eric, I want to shift a little bit. You know, you're a black woman in a hospital system that is somewhat notoriously not doing a great job of caring for black women. I've got a lot of black female friends who have told me that they have a very high level of anxiety when they're told they need to have this procedure. They don't maybe feel like they've been given enough information. It could be because of their race. It could also just be because our medical system doesn't do that great for anybody. But we also know that for sure in childbirth, there is a higher risk of something bad happening if you're black having a baby in the hospital. And You didn't have the natural childbirth where you could say, hey, we're just going to be left alone and just let the baby come out. You had a lot of interventions, including, and certainly not least of which, is a C-section. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience there? And is this something that you are comfortable talking about? You know, let's kind of air out the laundry here. Like, why is it so bad? Why are so many Black women struggling with this tension with the medical system? Yeah. I mean, you can't really divorce 
my pregnancy journey from, you know, my blackness. It definitely was the key consideration in every step of the way in my fight for autonomy during the entire process. So yeah, I made sure, and to a certain degree, I kind of sometimes pause when I'm telling my recovery story because I made sure that things were in place so that I healed well and so that I experienced the minimum amount of pain. Yeah. But we also know that Black women aren't believed either because it's believed that we experience less pain than yeah. white women. And yeah. so therefore, we're not believed when we actually are in pain. So it's not lost on me that when I tell my story that it could be a confirmation to some people that, see, Black women... They are tough. They're tougher and they don't need, you know, and it's like, oh, no, I'm just an individual person. But that doesn't mean that we don't deserve care as well, just as much as anybody else. I may be an exception to that rule in this respect, just because of I have years of doing this whole thing with, you know, fitness and yoga and everything. And so, you know, I kind of make sure that I do share that part. So I'm glad that we're having this discussion right now. As far as my own experience with being a Black woman within the medical system, I went into it with the idea that I was going to be telling people, <laughs> making sure that everybody knew that this is what needed to happen yeah. with my body, that I needed to be the person that I knew what was best, that I needed you guys to listen to me when I tell you something about something happening within my body, but I happened to be paired with a doctor. I didn't, well, wasn't paired with a doctor. I chose a doctor that I made sure that even from the time that I chose him, that he understood me. If he didn't understand me, because I actually chose another doctor previously and it was just something we just didn't, you know, I was just like, didn't ah, have chemistry. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, over-talking you when the doctors over-talk you, when you're trying to tell them something or they're trying to get you out quick. I'm like, you know what? I don't have to have a reason to not want right. to go with you. I'm just going to not go with you. And that's all there is. And I think that a lot of women don't follow their intuition with that. They just think, you're a doctor, you know best. No, 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 honey. If you are feeling a certain way about your doctor, if your doctor is just off-putting and you can't put your finger on it, that is reason enough that's right. for you to walk away and go get another opinion. And that's what I did. I just went and I found this other doctor and we had a whole discussion and the whole Black mortality rates and childbirth and pregnancy. And he understood where I was coming from. And because of that, and because I really advocated for myself very early on, and maybe partly because of his personality, of course, maybe he would have presented this way without me having all of this intervention. But I did not have that experience in my birthing story, where I felt as if I was being treated a certain way because of my Blackness. Now, this doesn't mean, again, this is one of those things, like, I'm saying this, but I don't want that in any way to be a confirmation to see it doesn't happen. It didn't happen to her. And it's like, I heavily advocated for myself. And just by nature of me showing up the way that I did could have kept away a lot of people yeah. from acting on me in ways that would have affected my treatment. And so people have to take that into account as well. But it does happen. It happens. And it doesn't necessarily have to happen to me in order for me to be an advocate for it. Because we all know the statistics, or if you don't know, 
you know, it's, now you know, it's out there. So my personal experience is I had a beautiful, the nurses were amazing there for it to be a C-section. It was, you know, I got to eat as much pudding as I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> Get to come out as pudding later. Yeah, alluded you know. to. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, this was just jokes, but yeah, yeah. The point is, I didn't have a problem with anybody tending to my needs. If I felt like I was in pain, people made sure that I had what I needed. When it came time for me to walk, you know, they made sure that every step of the way I felt supported at the place that I gave birth. Yeah. And I know that's not everybody's story. And so, yeah, the advocacy really needs to happen very early on if we want things to change yeah. because, you know, it's not going to change itself. Yeah. Two things that I want to add to that is that, well, the first thing is a very, very close family member of mine who also has a history in the healthcare professions also is like hashtag BLM, like a woke white person. They actually mm-hmm. said to me something like, well, in my experience as nursing, black people have thicker skin. And they don't need as much pain medication. She's actually said that. So what you're describing is something that historically has sort of, it has woven itself into the fabric of how we care for women of color. And this isn't just black women. This is everybody but white women. And I think it's going to take a lot of time for that to change. So I appreciate you sharing. And even though it wasn't your experience, fortunately, that you had a bad experience with that, there are even people of celebrity status who have not been listened to. And then they have a big PE. I think it was... Serena. Serena Williams. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. of course we shouldn't need a celebrity of her status and talk about a strong woman. I mean, that is an advocate. And if she asked over and over and over, I can't imagine somebody who's a little less like us and a little bit maybe more reserved and not wanting to bother the staff or whatever, that something catastrophic could happen because they weren't listening to them. Despite this person who's experiencing these symptoms being so in touch with their body like you are. So I do think it's an important thing. I do think there's a lot more that we need to be doing. I don't think it's super easy to advocate for that within a system that doesn't even respect birth in and of itself in many regards. Not that that was your experience, but having been an OBGYN in the hospital system, man, we've got so many fires that it's like, what fire do I need to attend to first? So if you're out there and you're listening, this is just another thing to have on your radar. I think it should be front burner. I don't think that we should have a whole giant cohort in our, in our nation that's afraid to go to the hospital because they're afraid of being you know disrespected or abused in some way. The other thing I wanted to say is that the advocacy piece is so important. I would also love it if women didn't have to go into the hospital with their dukes up to fight for the right to have a baby on their own terms. But you have both of these things that you managed to navigate so well. And I do think that there's you know, some medicine to be taken from your story. And not that you have like the checklist item of how to have a safe birth in the hospital, but there's a doctor actually in, I don't know, are you in the Atlanta area? Mm -hmm, Yeah. So do you know Dr. Brad Boots Taylor? Have you heard the name? No, I have not heard the name. He's a former like Green Beret. He's this black physician, also an MFM, which is the high-risk OB docs. Like he went to the top of the top and was working until recently in a hospital system within Atlanta. And he wrote a book called, I probably have it here somewhere, I think it's called Shared Decision-Making or something like that. It's a two-volume series, but he sent me a copy of his first, and he goes through what he calls the B-score. And this is basically some questions you can ask your healthcare professional to make sure that you guys align on some very, very basic values about your care. And if it's not a fit, it's not a fit. That's okay. We can't expect this person to act differently based on their years of experience. You just have to find, like you did, somebody who really honors who you are, 
how you got here and where you want to go. And when that chemistry works, I think all of these other issues actually dissolve away. But not everybody has the luxury of perhaps of selecting the right provider. We have to talk about in and out of network costs and all this other stuff. There's all these other barriers. But these are ideas that I think are relevant to explore. I just don't have a very easy answer. So I do appreciate you sharing. (laughs) And I also want to add something too. With regards to advocacy, it wasn't just me. Because you have to make sure that if in the event that you're unable as a person, I'm unable to advocate for myself, you have to have strong people around you who are going to make sure that your wishes are kept. So my husband and I are very communicative about everything and especially about what we wanted surrounding our birth of our children. And so I knew that he was also there and both the sounding board and also actually speaking to doctors as well, making sure that, you know, what we wanted was, was respected. Yeah. And so that's another big thing that people have to take into consideration too, is that your village is so important. And especially with black women and with black maternal mortality being the way it is. And it does suck that you have to go in, you know, with your fighting stance, you know, but If you're going to do that, try to make sure that somebody else is there with you that's just as educated about you, about what you want, so that when you come up against opposition, then you can present your case in a way that they can know, oh, shoot, I'm not going to mess with this lady. Let's give her what she wants. (laughs) Let's just make sure that her birth is the way that she would like it to be. So not only you being your own advocate, but having a village right also can help you out with that. Yeah. It takes a we village. You can lean on for support. Yeah. Getting a surgery like that is very taxing on oh, you emotionally. Gosh. And even the strongest people, you know, are going to waver sometimes and you just need that person next to you who's going to be able to hold your hand and keep things from being imposed on you. Yeah, absolutely. And even, you know, the flood of oxytocin, the love hormone that comes through the body that goes to the baby, that lets the milk down afterwards. This oxytocin hormone is not all that necessarily present during C-section, but gosh, you sure want to feel connected to your baby immediately afterwards. And if you're constantly in a state of flight, fight, freeze, those catecholamines are surging, you can't connect with the baby. So you need your village there to help you continue to feel safe and sound after the birth. And that is really where the village comes in. We are not one man armies, one woman armies out here necessarily. Although I think a lot of people are compelled to take on that role, we really do benefit from having a collective of people that understand our wishes and our values. Yeah, that's really great advice, Erica. One last thing I wanted to chat about is through the lens of sex therapy, I'm sure that you've worked with women who've experienced some degree of trauma. And trauma is this buzzword right now. But I will argue that even an undisturbed, unmedicated, natural, healthy mom, healthy baby, vaginal birth or whatever can be traumatizing if we don't integrate the process afterwards. If there's a high demand of stress on a person, if they don't feel seen, if they feel touched without consent, those can all be wrapped up in the body. And it takes a trained therapist to help unpack some of those things. And of course, sex trauma, it comes in so many different flavors, but Can you maybe talk a little bit about your work? I know you're not licensed right now as a sex therapist in the state of Georgia, but you bring this into your coaching practice in the postpartum period. What do you want people to know about this postpartum period and around this 
unintegrated stress, which I think is a really great way to frame trauma. What do you want them to know? What have you learned from working with clients in this space? Well, I think that people really underestimate how, and you mentioned the oxytocin that's kind of flooding you and things like that, that you really underestimate how much support that you need postpartum. Yeah. And so you have to be able to have someone in your corner Mm. and you also have to have a plan, such a beautiful experience. And then now we're into planning, but you have to make sure that you have a plan in place so that you are supported. Because a lot of times then what happens is we go through this whole beautiful birthing process and everybody's all full of love and everything. And then once you get home, now it's back to a very patrocentric way of thinking where it's like women do this and men do this. Yeah. And so it's like, okay, women, you're raising the children and you're feeding the baby and you're doing all this. And you have husbands or boyfriends or whomever going, well, my mom did that. And my grandmother did that. And right. you know, this is just your role. And a lot of times women, you know, we have really taken that within us as well, where we think that, oh shoot, this is the way it's supposed to be. And you don't look around at, you're looking around at everyone else and everyone else is living the lie, you know, where, Mm. okay, they're struggling. And I think that people really underestimate how hard it is when you come home with a newborn baby. Babies are notoriously selfish. (laughs) You know what I mean? And for good reason. (laughs) You know, like they don't know anything. It's our job to impart things on them and to fill them with love and goodness and all of those things. And all the while you're also healing, Yeah, but you're going to be losing sleep, you know? So you're going to have to understand that, you know, you're not going to be able to have a, a snapback body. You're going to have the belly and you may have stretch marks. And so there's all these things at play that women have to kind of juggle and perform in order to live up to the way a woman is supposed to be and live in our society and you know, the responsibilities that we have. Yeah man and when are you going to be able to have sex again and oh my gosh how long has it been you know it's like I'm tired I have not gotten any sleep all I do is hear a child cry and you're thinking about sex you know and maybe she wants to have sex too but she's exhausted you know so it's there's all these conversations that need to be had prior to about expectations and also about the realities of things busting myths about what it means to come home how you're going to be feeling And even before we get to postpartum depression and baby blues, but a lot of these things can really be alleviated if we were just to have the conversations and wholehearted conversations, right? Not ones rooted in patriarchy and misogyny where women have this role and men have this role. I think that that is the biggest reason that a lot of women get so exhausted and so just out of it when it comes to coming home with their babies is not having the proper support after. So, yeah. So, I mean, so those are the biggest things, making sure that you have the people, the plan in place to make sure that to kind of stave off of these things. And again, these are very long conversations that you're having sometimes with both parties, the mother and the father, because a lot of times it's not as if the father or the partner is, reacting in the way they are because of some sort of malice, right? It's just ingrained behavior. It's the way men are supposed to be. Mm. I thought that this was my role. And 
a lot of times you see in my work, I've seen where men do want to get involved, but they're just like, well, that's woman's stuff. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. no, you can do whatever you want to do. This is your life. You don't have to abide by any rules that don't serve you. Yeah. And giving them permission in that way is a really powerful thing to be able to live within their house, within their four walls, the way they want to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. What about a lot of restructuring of thoughts? Yeah. I mean, what I always tell people is you have to consider birth. Let's consider the worst case scenario. Again, I'm using air quotes on my end. You are shedding the old you. A new you is emerging. Integrating that experience is a part of this new identity. You're now a mom and you're going to be a mom again or again and again and again. It doesn't matter. Every single time you are shedding the old and you're emerging new. I do think that that does lead to a lot of issues within relationships. I think it leads into a lot of this sort of like an identity crisis in a way. Yeah. I also know that it plays out in intimacy. Can you talk a little bit about intimacy after childbirth? And I think that that would be a really, really great place to wrap this up. I think you bring so much wisdom into this conversation. Let's spin out on that, though, for a second. What advice do you have for women about intimacy and their partners reengaging in this beautiful interplay after the birth of a baby? The biggest thing that I tell people that they have to do is, again, a lot of the conversations need to be had prior to baby yeah. being born yeah. so that when the waters start to get a little bit rough, we can know exactly what's happening. Yeah. You know, it's like, ah, OK, we knew this was coming. We were prepared for this. And understanding, having the partners, both of them, because even women don't understand sometimes why they feel the way they do. You know, I should want to have sex. I want to have, I don't want him to go anywhere and all these other things, but those are, you know, so again, there's a lot to unpack, but the biggest part is making sure that they understand that how the body works or what happens to the body as the hormones are starting, are fluctuating wildly at yeah. before they kind of get back to even keel and how that may affect your ability or your desire for intimacy. Having the man or the partner understand that it's not personal. Yeah. Oh, that that's probably body, such a big one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a huge one, you know, because it's just like, okay, well, you know, what do you want me to do? You know? And it's like, okay, well, no, honey, like you have to understand that this is happening. It's yeah. not that I don't love you, but also understanding too, that intimacy does not have to actually be set, Yeah, you know? And so there are other things and other things that you can put in place while a woman's body is healing. And that may take a few weeks, you know, a couple months, you know, depending on if she's having depressive kind of symptoms, you know, it could take a couple months, but the most important thing is for you to still have intimate moments. So even going for walks, you know, going out to the movies, having dinner together, just something simple, taking the baby to grandma's or if you can, or even taking the baby out for a walk in the stroller while you guys talk. Yeah. So those are things that you can do to still maintain that sense of closeness, even if sex itself is not present, because at the end of the day, sex is not the thing that's going to define your relationship. It's the intimacy that will. That's right. So that's what you need to really cultivate during that time. And that's what I talk about the most. Yeah. I think if you compare your 26 year old self, you're horny as hell and you just want to fuck, like, let's just go and just like tear each other's right. clothes off. That's the whole thing you see in the movies. Right. And Mm -hmm. TV shows at 36 or 37 or beyond. I'm just speaking from my own personal experience. And, you know, we're in the same age group. 
intimacy, it's different. It's different with children. It's not so much you're worried about the kids hearing you. That's not even a part of our story. It's that when you are just raring to go all the time, sex means something different now. And my wife has actually had to teach me this. Sex, when we say the word sex, I know what we're talking about. We're talking about like, we're having sex. You know, there's a penis going in there. We're doing it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My wife has actually had to help me understand that intimacy or sex is the consequence of intimacy. In other words, if we don't have that connection right now, there's no way that we can have sex because sex is not just a matter of procreating, which is kind of how we were demonstrated that it goes in your mid-20s. It changes, but that actually doesn't mean it's worse. It actually becomes much deeper, the connection through intimacy. And then ultimately, if you have sex, great. If not, you were intimate all night long. And that serves you in a different way than when you were you know, just kind of doing it because it felt good and you had fun with it. Now you're a couple, you're a unit. And after you've had a baby, I think it is extra hard because we men, we take it personally. We have our insecurities kind of flare up and this and that. But gosh, foot rubs and neck rubs are like the thing in our household. Man. What a way to connect with your person. And yes, we're not orgasming. I mean, we're connecting in such deeper ways though, that sometimes it leads to that naturally. Mm -hmm. I won't share any more, but we've had some recent experiences that are just like, that's not something we've done for a long time, but it all started with me being present, me listening, us just flowing in conversation and just holding hands Mm -hmm. at the dinner table. And it goes from there as opposed to us being so focused on the outcome. Yeah. And those are great things and great points that you bring up. And it's really important to do that. Really important to discover or rediscover your intimacy after you have your baby, because you don't really have, and to make it and to make sure that you're doing it in a way that almost like you have to plan it out. Right. Because, you know, you may be up late, you know, that's right. Babies are kind of always going to be the center of your world at a certain point. And so you have to make that time for your partner. You have to prioritize that intimacy so that, you know, you can make sure that you can always tap into it. Right. Right. Yeah. Erica, thank you so much for sharing. I'm so excited about this conversation. You've been so gracious with your time. I want to spend the final minute letting people know how they can find you. By the time this episode's out, maybe your new book will be available. Who knows? But tell everybody what you're working on, where they can find you. Okay. I am on Instagram. My name is Harper Erica 7. You can Erica find with me a there. K, by the Erica way. Erica with a K. Harper Erica, E-R-I-K-A, the number seven on Instagram. And I also have a weekly yoga class where we do movement and we do meditative work and we do breath work. And it's this whole little beautiful, you know, experience that you have with me for an hour. And then of course I do postpartum coaching as well. So yep, there you have it. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll send everybody your way. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you, Nathan. I appreciate it. Thank you so, so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. If you haven't checked out my website, go to belovedholistics.com. Nothing on the show is medical advice, but you certainly can get some help, whether you're a person looking for a birth worker or a holistic gynecologist, or if you're a midwife or other type of birth worker or healthcare professional that wants to have me in your corner, you can find all of that there. You can also find information about my new PRP fertility program that's all available at belovedholistics.com. 
if anything in this show touched you in some way, if you went back and re-listened to something, share this episode. Give the gift of the Holistic of a Joanne podcast to the people in your life, to your clients, to your family, your friends, your colleagues. Let's get these messages out there. This conversation, like every conversation, I only do it because I think it's important for the community. You can also go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Give me a five-star review. Believe it or not, it really matters. And then lastly, support our sponsors. The sponsors make it possible to put out this high-quality content. And as I'm increasing my audio and my video and my different platforms and rebranding and rebuilding, that costs money. My sponsors enable that to happen. I also have an online shop with not only the sponsors discount codes listed, but a wide variety of other products that are going to make you and your family as healthy and vital as possible. Again, I'm Nathan Riley. Thank you so much for listening in to the Holistic OBGYN podcast. We'll see you next week. 